Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 92 of Death Readers, the podcast where we read through books for the first time in this episode of Death Readers. We are reading through Ernest Cline's Ready Player One, a book that I've never read, but Rob definitely has. Oh, once or twice. Uh, in this episode, our first episode of this new book, we are going to be reading through chapters 0 through 6, or 000 through 6. Uh, that means if you're reading along with us, which we encourage you to do, that way you are keeping up with what we're talking about and you have all the context of our discussion, um, stop when you get to chapter seven. Yeah. Just don't read that yet. That's for next week. Um, so being that this is our first episode of a new book, we should probably jump into the edition edition. Let's do it. What are you reading? Ready Player One. I talked. I said that. <laughs> um, I mean, this isn't an old book, so like the. I mean, it's not a crazy old book. Less than ten years, I believe. It was do it. Well, ten years this year. Mine it should be. It should be twenty ten when this book it's came not, out. Oh, I thought it was twenty eleven. That's so funny. No, it says copyright twenty eleven. You're right. Hmm. Am I? That won't be the first time. Okay. Oh, that won't be the first. That doesn't make sense. That won't be the last time. There we go. It's going to be one of those. Man, I got to tell you, nothing inspires confidence like fucking up your brag. (laughs) (laughs) That won't be the first time I'm right about something. Wait. Does that mean it was the first time, though? Because you fucked up the second time? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Anyway, so it's not a crazy old book like the Tarzan thing, so we couldn't like have happened into potentially reading a really old copy or something. No. Um, so so my my edition mm. is the um, let's see, mine's a first paperback edition mm-hmm. that is a uh, I think copyright 2015. Mine says copyright 2011, but it also says uh, excerpt from Armada copyright 2015 Dark All Day Inc. Well, then I don't think it's a first edition. Well, it says first edition paper, first paperback edition. The mm. first edition was a hardcover, so th- this right. Is... But that usually the paperbacks come out a year later, which would have been twenty twelve, and that's twenty fifteen. And it's advertising Armada. I don't know what Armada is. Armada is a really crappy book Ernest Klein wrote. And er- oh. Ernest Klein, if you're listening to this, sorry, I did not care for Armada. Available summer twenty fifteen everywhere books are sold. I'm just telling you what the thing says. I don't know how to like determine whether or not it is or isn't a first edition book it just says first paperback edition hmm. well so i'm reading that um it's got the interesting like embossed cover like the with the the letterings the letter has different like texture than the rest of the cover and it feels mm-hmm. like extra smooth and is that the, the one spine where also has it climbing the stacks yeah see mine also says soon to be a major motion picture directed by steven spielberg mm-hmm. so I feel. I just kind of feel like your first edition, the book. Sorry, the book's first edition claim is uh, spurious. That's entirely possible. Like I, I mean, I'm just reading what the inside of the book says. I hear what, what you're saying. What what edition are you reading? I'm reading a pirated edition. Way back in the day, I had a Kindle, and my wife's friend had a cracked version of Ready Player One and sent me the file. And I'm like, I think I still got that. And I put it back in my Kindle and that's what I'm reading. However, addendum to that, 
I got through chapter six, and even though it's all world building and not a lot of action, uh, I wanted more, and I couldn't go further. So I kind of put on the Will Wheaton Red audiobook, which I did pay for, and listened up through uh, the end of chapter six again. So I'm doing both. Nice. Like a nice. like an obsessive uh, leet Gunter would. So while you've stolen a copy of it, you also I didn't have another... steal it. I received stolen goods. There is a difference. Right, but possession, as we all know, and admission, which you've also done, hmm. admission of the possession. I'm just saying, get the crime right. That's like ten tenths of the law. <laughs> I think it's I think it's. Uh... Nine and nine tenths. Nine tenths and nine nine and nine. Uh, how does that work? Ninety-nine tenths. It's ninety-nine tenths of the law. That won't be the first time. <laughs> you are never going to let that go, are you? You think that's not the episode title? <laughs> Shit. Um. Anyway, the uh. <laughs> um. That's cool, though. I mean, like, what I was getting at is even though you have a, a completely nefarious, illegal, pirated copy hmm. that you were reading on your yeah. on your Kindle, um, you also have a legitimately obtained audio copy that, uh, so it's kind of, like, evens it out. So, like, it's that thing where, like... That's what I was thinking. If, if you... if you, I, I think I've heard this, and this could be totally bullshit. You know, I'm just going to say this is probably bullshit. Okay. This is what I'm about to say. It's total bullshit. Don't, don't think what I'm saying is legit or anything. But... Um, <laughs> It's to me. It would feel maybe maybe not legally good, but let's say morally fine, if you bought a pirated thing like mm-hmm. a Blu-ray or DVD or, or something. A house, but then download a, a house. house. Yeah, if you if you downloaded a car, right? Um, then as long as you also in some way paid legitimately for that same content mm-hmm. in another medium, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Absolutely. Um, like, um. Let's say, let's say at some point in my life, I may have obtained a, I may have, this is all hypothetical. I may have gone to New York City in 2003, may have, and I may have found a person in the subway selling bootlegged DVDs. This could have happened. Sure. Um, and I, and, and in that instance, I could have purchased a bootleg copy of Sin City on DVD. Right. That could have happened, um, but then having, but then purchased a reg, like could have purchased a regular DVD. I mean, I actually did purchase a regular. I'm okay with saying that. That actually happened. <laughs> I did purchase a regular DVD copy. Right. Uh, it was that copy that comes with the little tiny like paperback version of the first. Oh uh, yeah, I remember that copy. Book. Yeah. Yeah. I bought um, that. Yeah, it was too small. Too, it was too small. Very book. tiny. Very book. tiny for a graphic novel. Right. Um, I'm like, where's my magnifying glass? Yeah, Frank. Um, Robert forty twenty Vision Rodriguez. Well, he didn't make. He wasn't responsible for the book. I think he was probably responsible for the book. Well, anyway. Although, side yeah. note, that movie taught me how to make homemade flour tortillas, and I still use that. Oh right yeah, the special features where the special features where Robert Rodriguez cooks for you. The breakfast See, tacos. I only, oh I only know this because I watched. Mm-hmm. The legitimate. I watched the thing. I watched the legitimate version right. that I purchased, not some sort of hypothetical bootleg DVD that I may still have in my possession. I could, no. I could possibly still have. No, the, boot, um, the bootleg tacos sucked. I've oh, heard. the bootleg tacos. Are, well, you wouldn't download a taco. <laughs> I 
can eat. I might. Tacos are really good. <laughs> yeah, but it would taste all digital. Nyang, nyang, nyang. So, um, I gotta, I gotta rewatch those because I for, I need to. I'm, I'm gonna do that this weekend. I'm gonna practice making Robert Rodriguez's tacos. Um, so anyway, the uh, why was I talking about? Oh, oh, so I, but I have. If, if you're, I you're explaining why, it was, why it's okay to, morally, uh, to to steal things. Morally, if you mm. if you if you obtain illegal like IP, like mm-hmm. intellectual property, something that someone should have royalties for, but then you also pay for a legit version of it, mm-hmm. then like I think it's kind of okay. Yeah, no. Basically, what you're saying is if you can find a way to justify the theft, go for it. That's what no. I'm hearing. Yeah. No. No, I'm saying if you pay the person, uh, if you see something who, and you want it, you take it at the end. No, I'm saying if you pay for a worse version of something that, that is someone else's property and then you also pay that person for the mm-hmm. same thing, but it's like the good quality, right? That person's you, 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 they're not equivalent products. Like the, the, let's say this bootleg blue or DVD it wouldn't have had any special features on it. It would have had none. It would have probably had a terrible audio quality. It would have been a, a, a functionally worse version of the product mm-hmm. that uh, the, the creatives who made it would have made. Right. Now, so if you go out and you buy their real product and give them that money, uh, then, you know, it's like you've, it's like you're, you're, you are the one who's now in the loss. Like you, the consumer have bought one thing twice when you really only needed to buy it once. And the person who made it got the majority of that funds of those funds. Listen, I'm not a lawyer and this is all hypothetical. I'm just saying morally for my morality, my ethics, I would download a car. Absolutely. So anyway, um, do you want to talk about what this book is about? Why don't you talk about what this book's about? You, I really like this. Tell me? I like this book. I like this book. <laughs> I I understand it's got problems. I do. Uh, here here's the thing with this book. This book is this book. This resonates a lot with me because my mom was a single mom. We lived in a trailer. Uh, my brothers often went off to daycare or to be babysat, and I was left alone with cable and. A lot of Wade's uh, youth I I see reflected in my life, and I get it. And any, I I can just see everything that was, it seems like everything that was important to Ernest Klein, uh, he made up a world where everything revolved around everything that was, he's basically the James Halliday of this book, but he also casts himself as the hero. Yes. And it's, incredibly masturbatory and i get that i feel like you are kind of like ping-ponging all around points we should be making linearly i I know i know it just i just feel like it should be so how about we back up and explain like why don't you tell me what the premise of the book is because let's just say what you've said now it's all legitimate and valid Mm -hmm. but if i didn't know what this book was about i wouldn't know what you were talking about so why don't you pitch me the the premise okay so it's the it's the far future of 2045 ish everything's shit the the global is warming uh 
the the energy is 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 not happening. People are stuck in their homes, which are all stacked up on top of each other. Everything is a slum everywhere. But there's a virtual reality world where everyone can plug in and just have uh, utopia. So why why do you even want to experience reality, which sucks, when you can go do anything you want and be anybody you want to be? It's a dream. Dreams are real. You can just go live your dream. You can meet who you want to meet. It's the it's echo chamber the universe it's oh it's amazing i think that it's described in the book as being like part hollow deck or like everybody gets their own personal hollow deck but it's also like on a uh, oculus kind of oh it's way better than oculus do this is i know this is laser shot into your eyes so you feel like you are seeing it you're not looking at a goddamn screen i'm just saying like for people to visualize it if they don't know what i'm talking about if you know what an oculus is it's it's this kind is, of like this that. is this is way better than Oculus. So it's the, also uh, fictional, so it's not really guy better who, than Oculus. The guy who created the Oasis, this virtual reality, James Halliday, dies and leaves a Willy Wonka style treasure hunt in his game. And if you solve it, if you find the Easter eggs and come out on top, you are gonna be the new Willy Wonka. You're gonna get you're gonna get that Charlie Bucket full. You're gonna become the new king of the Oompa Loompas and get all the money and be in charge and basically become God. And that's, that's kind of what I mean when it says masturbatory because the author is the creator of the world. And then he casts himself as the hero to solve it, to bequeath this thing upon himself. And so this isn't going to be so much a review of the book is more of like a, a fleshlight review for me. Well, it's, it's that, it's that thing where it's uh, it's the thing all nerds want, mm. which is validation for their interests. Mm-hmm. And so what it is is it's Ernest Klein. And we, we really this is like the last episode kind of shit we should be talking about then. I know, but um, it's, um, but it's like it's, it's it, so Ouroboros as you like to say. <laughs> it's it's just like <laughs> we'll we'll touch on this again. I'm sure, but it, it is very much yes him. We'll, we'll slowly stroke this again. Oh okay. We definitely, we got it. We 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 all can see, see what, what I'm talking. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're you're not hiding it very well. If you do this much longer, you'll go blind. Okay. Um. The uh. It's that thing all nerds want, which is validation for their nerdery. It's that right. thing where you get the payoff for the investment in the fantasy in the in the property in the in the lore in the mythology of the thing you care about the minutia that you've learned right like like exactly it feels um, like hard work and you've committed brain cells to this and now you get to pay it off and you get an actual reward for it right who doesn't want that this is winning trivial pursuit times a billion right um so it's it's it is like a very like obvious fantasy for a nerd who's writing a nerdy fantasy that is for nerds like it's right it, it, it's all those things but anyway um uh there was uh i mentioned my book advertises that there was a major motion picture hmm. uh made of this movie in 2018 i think um I really liked the movie quite a lot. I know it's very different than the book. Um, it's very different I, while being very similar. 
Right. I mean, I know they're both egg hunts, but I also know that, like, the ways that they find the eggs are different. And that's it, yes. Um, And I know that the references are different because Warner Brothers could use a lot more Warner Brother properties in the film than they could use things they don't own. So, um, and I'm sure there were some things they had to, like, license just to make sure they worked that were from other studios. Oh, sure. And the book goes way more niche, too. Sure. Oh, oh, we'll get there. Okay, okay, um, okay. Because there's definitely notes I have where I'm like, um, sure. But very specifically, like, uh, doesn't Paramount own, doesn't Universal own the DeLorean? Don't they own Back to the Future? Yep. Um, so not Warner Brothers. So they would have to have gotten the DeLorean, like, rights. Uh, it's possible, but... Robert Zemeckis personally owns Back to the Future because that's why he's always able to say no remakes. Oh. So I'm not sure how that works. And and since Spielberg produced that, they might have had an end that way. I'm not. I don't know. Yeah, I watched watched, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit last week and I thought the same. I thought the same thing about like, you know, like there's this. The the, the connection between Spielberg and, and Zemeckis for so many things mm-hmm. um but but like you know this one feels real specific sure i mean um, but robert's mechus is basically a protege of spielberg right right so when i in terms of how i'm going to approach this book i uh unfortunately will will be clouded by having seen the film sure um so heads up you know that's just part of what's going to happen anyway i don't i don't really know what happens in the book I do. I know. I know. Okay. Spoilers. Fucking Wade's gonna win. Like what, he, I think. It's, I think it's. I think it. It basically tells you that in the in the in the in the intro. In no, the, in the intro, he says, uh, "My name showed up on the scoreboard first, and and several books and movies and even animated films tried to tell the story what happened next, but they all got it wrong. So I'm here to set the story straight. <laughs> Not that I know it verbatim." You almost look disappointed, and that's so sad. You, you, you know should be it, impressed. You know it ver masturbatum. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying. Wade would be like, "Yo, Rob, you're elite. You're legit." All right. Well, anyway, uh, I'm gonna, um, I have, I have, I'm gonna be skewed by the film. Uh, but I think we should probably just get into our notes. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, we, or, or we could say we should wade into our notes. So that brings us to chapter zero. Well, technically, it's chapter zero 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 zero. We're not doing that. But that's the. I don't that's care. Technically, I don't care. what it says. I'm technically, technically. Oh, you get rhymed. I mean, isn't four isn't four zeros? Uh. Well, in the audiobook, Will Wheaton calls it chapter zero. Right. What I'm saying isn't isn't four zero zero in beta. We're not reading it in beta. I actually don't know if that's true. I was just kind of see if you would bite. Because um, then when it got to chapter one, I'd have to say chapter two. Maybe. You want to give a summary of uh, this? Uh... We, we already explained too much about the book. But nah. in, in this one, in, in the overview, our, our nameless protagonist explains uh, what the egg hunt is, who James Halliday is, and generally sets up the world for us. That's that's the summary of what happens here. Okay. Uh, I, have a page, I have a note on page one. I have a note on page one. Mine's the first reference in the book. Okay, take it. Take the reference. Do you know? Do you, do you you got the reference right? 
I don't know. Is Dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Oh, of course. Ghostbusters. Yeah, of course. All right. <laughs> is this what the podcast is going to be? <laughs> no, Just you quizzing me on if I got all the references? It's not. Um, that I would wanted, be crazy. I to scare you. <laughs> of course I know that one. That's one of the few Ghostbuster lines I know. Uh, uh, and then I have a note later on the footnote. So what's your first note? Well, um... My first note says it's been 10, 10 years since Ready Player One's publication and lots of stuff predicted in this book, or especially this page, is now real. Mm-hmm. Pers- people having personal video feeds, uh, Facebook and Amazon are two massive online companies owned by Wonka-esque billionaires whose services uh, whose services nearly every American utilize every day. Mm-hmm. We even got he even got the part about viruses right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's this there's this mention of like that people's news feeds are only like cracked into or interrupted if there's a virus, and it was like yeesh. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, but I I have to say like with all of that being said, I think he underestimated how much news content the average American would be consuming in the near future. Uh, it's, I think we're at this point where it's no longer just like the evening news. Like he mentions that as a specific thing in this, in this page where people will still watch the evening news. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that, um, I think, and I know it's been 10 years, but we've really progressed, I think, because of our last president, um, into a world where we're, a lot of us are like constantly tuned into the goings on of politics. And unfortunately those politics have have become much more muck raking than oh, yes. they are any actual political anything. They're a circus sideshow. Yes. And and I think that like uh it's it's to the detriment of humanity to to be preoccupied with like t- t- making politics like the WWE is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. And that's precisely what Donald Trump has done in a lot of ways or what the media has done in response to Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. I'll give him the only break I'll ever give him um, here and say that because I think that like CNN, MSNBC, Fox have all done a horrible job uh, feeding that monster. Yeah. They, they've all sowed the dragon's teeth and I don't think that, and, and the problem is they're actually not going to be the ones that have to slay the dragon now it's 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 all infected all of us anyway right. so I, I thought it was interesting that that was one of those things that he he didn't get right i mean granted we're still 20 years out from his actual predicted future date sure but, but i mean that that one everything else i can see being uh, uh apply a liberal dash of futurism to the current culture and and i mean you got to be good at it and he certainly seemed to be seems to be um but no one could have foreseen Oh no! I'm not trying to suggest he's in any ways at fault for this. It's just we. I think when you look at futurism, you have to look at what did it get right, what did it get wrong. Sure. Um, the virus thing about... was disturbing to read. I was like, because uh, because he referenced it like another virus. Like, oh, if another virus shows up, I'm like, ugh. Right. Um. Yeah. And and you know, like he published this in 2010, so he'd been writing it for much longer. Mm-hmm. Um. You have like if you think about like what the Jetsons were predicting the future would be like, or what you, you, you imagine what like, uh, you know, Star Trek imagined the future would be like at certain periods of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's interesting to compare them and be like, yeah, no, I mean, I'm pretty sure Star Trek says that the early 2000 and late 1990s are when Khan was alive. Mm-hmm. And the like, Gen X the, wars. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's like things like that where you look at it, and you go, Oh, 
that's interesting. And it, it, I think the interesting thing about this prediction is it is it's much more grounded mm-hmm. uh, in reality. Like the world hasn't ch- it's changed a lot, but it, we it, it sort of suggests that we've we've essentially reached a technological peak by 2040, whatever. Um, 2045, is that it? Uh, something like that. I'm not sure which one it is. 2044, it says it right on the back of my book. Because hey, I, I have a physical copy of the book. So by 2044, because I'm not a thief. Agreed. I'm not a, a street rat. Riffraff. I'm not a, s- not a scoundrel. Just a little uh, snack, guys. This uh, is what this entire podcast is going to be like. I don't... Eh, you're a bit hasty. <laughs> no, I'm uh, using my futurism powers. Anyway, um, so it's interesting to see that uh, in this because, like I said, being pretty far in the future, you know, at at the time it was published 30 years in the future, but, like, everyone lives in trailers. The Mm -hmm. thing that they all have in abundance is, like, these pretty, like, ghettoized computer consoles that they plug into. Right. So, like, that's what they all kind of have. So, if, like, you imagine that our cell phones are kind of like the Oasis, like, that's what's happened. And by 2010 or 2009, the iPhone had just come out. Right. So, like, we hadn't yet really become a, as connected and as addicted as we would be to the digital, like, computer we all keep in our pockets. But the seeds were there. I mean, there was our, almost immediately people... Were, there were stories about like, oh man, this is sweeping everyone. They're always on their damn phones, and yeah. Well, uh, it had to grow though. Like, like where we are now, ten years later, mm-hmm. like it's not just like, oh, there's an app for that. Like that's gone. No, it's like no. Like I do everything in my life through my phone. Like I, I bank, I socialize, I network, I I make money, I news. lose money, all I'm, on the toilet. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, was that Gordon Gecko? Is that a yeah. <laughs> cyber greed is good that's going to be a thing i'm going to look into while we're doing this show is it's just it's going to be difficult for me not to so i'm just going to say i'm probably going to do it is like take an interest on like that futurism the, the what what was what was a good prediction what turned out not to pan out mm-hmm. in, in reality and i'm kind of excited for that because it's an interesting thing to to do uh because like i said i think that his predictions about what happens in like how much more will progress is very interesting. Like I think it's 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 telling in terms of like how to predict science fiction or how science fiction has progressed from going like really shoot for the skies, really imagined by the time nineteen ninety nine comes around, we're gonna be launching people to the moon like super fast all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like that's that's a that's a crazy kind of future. And then to look at it and go, yeah, you know, it's probably more likely going to happen. We're probably going to run out of resources. <laughs> we're probably going to have a lot more people than we have jobs. And we're going to have a lot of problems like like civilization may have peaked. We're going to um, bury our heads in the sand because it sucks. Who knows? But uh, that's that's part of what I'm interested in, in in this book. I've got a note on one of the footnotes. I don't remember where it is. You have any more notes in this chapter? I do. Okay. What's your next note? Well, basically, I, I have notes that are all about the this chapter as a whole, not anywhere in specific. Okay. Well, then I want to talk about this bit uh, that I think really sold me on the book when I first listened to it, because that's how I heard it first. Um, not just the fun, the world, the setup. I've always loved Willy Wonka. And I mean, I got right away that that's what they were doing here. Right, right. Um, and then the references... 
were fun. Ghostbusters, I'm like, hey, okay, that's cool. And 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 the John Hughes stuff. But when he talked about the funeral and said that it was uh, Heather's, I, I, I clicked into this book hard because that was another one that I watched a lot growing up. And not no one I ever talked to talked about Heather's. Of all the nerdy stuff we ever talked about, it, Heather's wasn't it. That was just like my own thing. And so this book really was like, this is for you, man. All those other people are reading it. No, no, no. This one's written for you. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I understand. I understand my purpose now. <laughs> I am I am the red dragon. Oh, are you going to eat the book? Why do you think I don't have a physical copy? Oh, God. Do you have a, the, the map of the Oasis in the shape of a Rubik's Cube tattooed on your back? I've never seen your back. Let's keep it that way. Oh my god. Twenty seven sectors. Oh my god. Anyway, now I'm a little worried. <laughs> uh, uh yeah, so I've never seen Heathers. I hear it's good. It's not even it's not even important that you do see it. I'm I'm not at that stage. It was like just it was that's you know I couldn't have not liked this book, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Especially not seeing it coming. I it, I haven't read Ready Player 2. I don't have any plans to. Uh, but based on how Armada went, it became more about the references, like setting out to make them, which took away from it, if that makes sense. Um. Well, I yeah, I think that there is a element of this book that feels novel. In its in its references and how much it's making them, mm-hmm. um, and I think that it. I, I don't know. I haven't read the whole book yet. We'll see. Sure, but sure. My, my, but that my novelness. Yeah, my prediction is that that's a lot of what will carry an otherwise pretty standard story. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, and that's my that's my that's my guess. Um, and that if you if you lose the, it's like it's like the Jordan Peele effect. Like like get out was this huge success um cultural phenomenon very good for him right um and then uh us was in my like this is all opinion uh i really enjoyed get out i felt like all of every time the have you seen it yet i haven't seen either well any every time the uh the friend who works at the TSA comes on screen. He completely destroys all of the tension and the suspense and everything a horror movie would do. Um, and he's too funny. Now that's not saying that horror movies can't be funny. You and I could talk at length about how great American werewolf in London is, um, which is that a movie that on all of its, the special features for its blue way Ray have uh, its director saying that, uh, he thinks it's a comedy, right? You know, him saying, him insisting the movie's a comedy, and everyone else says it's a horror movie, uh, and and talking about the comparisons between the two and etc. And how you have to have they're both about uh, breaking tension. Sure. Comedy and horror are both about like uh, as themes, you know, breaking tension and and that experience of that joy when your brain like activates when you realize what's happened, mm-hmm. or when you when you get that tension break. So. Uh, you can have those things, but I, uh, this is my thesis on on Get Out. Is, but that that movie failed horribly in that aspect. Now, that's not to say that it if they had made the changes I'm suggesting, it would have been successful or more successful. Obviously, it was extremely successful. I'm saying on a on a a level that 
I noticed it was my experience. This happened every time. Every gotcha. time that the, those jokes came on screen, it broke it for me and made it harder for me to get back into the groove of the terror of the that was all very real mm-hmm. and well done. I think at that point the novelness of that idea, the the get out idea, was used up with get out. And I, my, my prediction is Jordan Peele was sort of pressured into selling his next idea to the highest bidder mm-hmm. who were all ready to pay a lot. And so he sold us, which I think is a not good movie. It, it shot beautifully. Some effects are pretty cool. The part of the premise is cool, but it gets real weird and convoluted and un, and it seems like clunky. It seems like an unfinished idea mm-hmm. that was turned into a big sellable thing and i also didn't i also didn't like <laughs> it sucks it's like it sucks i i, I this, is, this is all supportive of why i think it's happening to Ernest climb by the way but i i felt the same way about lovecraft country i felt the same way about uh the twilight zone it just felt like the, all these things weren't meeting the thing that i thought that i would enjoy and that again not to say they're not they're not good but they're definitely not for me mm-hmm. and uh, I found that really interesting, like because I really liked Get Out, and I really like Jordan Peele. I think that Keanu Peele is amazing. I think that Keanu was really good. I loved, I loved his work in the uh, Weird Al Yankovic video for uh, White and Nerdy. Speaking of making references to things, Keanu Peele are in that video mm-hmm. way before they had their own show. I think. Um, so, I think what happened, what's what probably happened with Ernest Klein is he. He cashed in on his thing, his his concept, his niche, and then went to fall into the making more out of that yeah. success. And it probably just fell flat because he used up all his like creative juices on his his you know. The, I mean, the way I look at it, it's like the first one came from a place of passion. The right. second one came from a place of oh, they like that. I need to do that. Right. And trying to do that instead of having it be a place of passion. It does not go well. It's the sophomore slump. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I have an interest in reading Ready Player Two at this point. Maybe I won't by the time the book's over. Um, but it would I think it would be interesting to like see what mm-hmm. that book's like and about. Because um, I think it would be one of the first times we would have read a book. Well, I think Raptor Red was that. But it would be interesting to read a book that I have no idea what's going on in it. Because I was noticing in this book, and I guess this is something I have a note on later but we might as well talk about it now uh, that a lot, like I felt like these chapters were really slow because they're just world building. They're just plugging through the stuff that I already know from the movie. But that's the thing. If I hadn't seen the movie, would I have been able to like follow along and imagine this book, like the world, this book's set in, mm-hmm. if I didn't already have all that work done for me because of the movie, mm-hmm. would I have immersed myself in it just from the fact of having to imagine all these things myself right. and build it in my own head? Um, would that have cemented it harder in my like feelings than it, than these chapters have? Cause I really liked, I really liked the movie. I, I really enjoyed Pretty much everything. I, again, I, I wish they had been able to make more references to things that weren't just Warner Brothers properties. Like, because you know, the amount of times you see Mortal Kombat characters or, or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles feels like a lot. Uh, and, and Turtles are actually Viacom; they're not even Warner Brothers. Uh, but they were like the specific Michael Bay Ninja Turtles. So, right. like, ugh, bad. Anyway, um, I forget why we were talking about that. You were just talking about the novelty 
of the of the concept was that it yes okay um my note is that i really liked the, the as i've said before i really like the movie version of the of this book uh and i i i, I kind of this is this is important because this happens in this in this chapter um the the warren robinette easter egg in adventure occurs at the very end of the film Mm -hmm. the the Mm -hmm. the find the finding of the easter egg in adventure right is how wade wins the spoilers this is how wade wins the contest Mm -hmm. is he finds that easter egg so it's sort of ouroboros-esque where the movie start the movie ends where the book begins uh with a reference to adventure and that Easter egg and the concept of the Easter egg. So I found it very interesting the book that that, that happened, that it was happening in the prologue. I don't honestly remember if they come back to that in the book or not. So that will be an adventure for us to find out. I, I Yeah, I, w- I was just surprised because it was what I'm excited about with noticing this is it's very much it, it, me learning, oh, the end of this story will not be them finding the easter egg and adventure again maybe it will who fucking knows but if it was man that would be weird that would be a real weird like foreshadowing to say that the first fucking in the prologue to be like right here it's this mm-hmm. maybe it will be maybe i don't know but um if it if it is it's still surprising either way mm-hmm. to have it this early on my my only other question is or here my, my last note on this chapter is i wonder how they're able to make all these references to things in writing without having to pay like licensing fees. And it got me curious about how that works because like you can't write a story in like Thomas Harris's Manhunter world mm-hmm. without paying him or getting the license for it. You can't make a new back to the future movie. Like you, you, but, but you could have all those things be objects in your story in your book i think you like, can that's the thing that's the thing that it's it's very curious like i it must obviously you can he made a fucking movie about the book well i mean but, but we've, like we've like in harry potter you know he's got a, a playstation no he doesn't yeah dudley threw his playstation out of the window it's a kind of computer you play games on oh okay it's book uh book four nerd because he was re- writing to serious um <laughs> nerd uh, so, what has Harry Potter ever done for you? Nothing. My point is, uh, I think when you when you're when you're when you're saying this is a facsimile of that other thing, you can say that he's not saying. Uh, I was with uh, Veronica from Heather's. It was this is Winona Ryder, you know, looking like the Heather scene. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It 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 just got me thinking. Like, you know, that's a really interesting like wait it, again it's that whole thing we were talking about already but it's an interesting way to write a book with, i would be interested in, a, in the go ahead. in the references i would be interested in a making of of the book and like did he have a whole lot more that you know lawyers were like no you can't put this in there this is too much yeah. in that wheelhouse of we will get sued this other and thing that's is absolutely fine. what happened in the movie like sure. clearly they couldn't do everything that was referenced in the in the book but like, and they had to do other things. Like, I would be really surprised if there's a big Mecha Godzilla versus Gundam fight at the end of the book, just because like that seems so specific uh, and so cinematic mm-hmm. in a way that like it, like 
you especially when you could choose from the variety of different things. Anyway, like I, I felt like they were really random things to pick in the movie. Is I guess what I'm saying. Like they felt random in the movie, so like for them to be that dedicated in the book would kind of be surprising. Like I'm, I'm hoping there's a lot of variance is what I'm saying. Sure. And I'm hoping it comes in big ways. Like if there's a scene where he, they say, and then I, I, I threw Chucky at someone out of my DeLorean and it stabbed them to death. I'd be like, wow, that's very literal. <laughs> that's a very literal adaptation of a film or, or, or of, of a book. A pre-adaptation. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, that's all I got. That brings us to level one. Chapter one. I have a note on page 15. Um, before I have an actual note, I just had a note saying uh, Wade's casual acceptance of his awful reality kind of grounded the book for me. Mm-hmm. I just I, I liked how he's like, it all sucks. Uh, but this is life. And I'm like, yeah. This 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 I, it, it makes it feel real because we've all felt like that. And right. Yeah. It's, uh, I was feeling pretentious when I wrote that. <laughs> What's your note? Um, mine's more pedantic than okay. pretentious. Uh, on the topic of Wade Watts' alliterative name, the examples he uses to explain what alliteration is mm-hmm. are Peter Parker and Clark Kent. I feel like Clark Kent's phonetically alliterative. Well, that's sort of what my, my question was, was like, is that how it works? Is it just phonetic or does it have to be the actual letters? I think it was written by someone who may not have a graph. To be, I mean, maybe Ernest Klein was writing in character as Wade Watts, son of an idiot. Um, or two idiots who thought that was alliterative and that's what they told him. Well, Wade Watts is alliterative, though. <laughs> like, that's that's the thing. Is it, it is. They, no, they were al- al- illiterate alliteratives. Okay, fair enough. But, like... When you're writing out Clark Kent, you should be able to look at it and go, no. <laughs> Wait that a second. Like, Peter Parker's P and P, Clark Kent is C and K. Is that the same? I guess, my again, my issue is phonetically fine. If, if alliteration extends to just simply phonetic alliteration, mm-hmm. and that's what covers all of it, fine. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Sure. I don't care. My problem is... You could skip that and never raise the question by using a billion other characters mm-hmm. who are all have all have alliterative names. Um, like you can't, you probably shouldn't go as hard into t- reminding everyone that Wade Wilson exists. Um, Unless your book's all built on references. Well, but specifically, like maybe you don't say I'm Wade Watts. You know, like Wade Wilson, alliterative, and then it's like. <laughs> Okay, it's a little too <laughs> on the nose. Like, but if you went, if you said something like Bruce Banner mm-hmm. or you know Reed Richards, um, you have Susan a lot Storm. of Storm. Like, right, you have a lot of them that you can run with. Marvel capitalized on that way harder than DC is, which is why Clark Kent doesn't work. Right. Um. But Guy Gardner would. Anyway, um. John Johns. John Johns totally works. Uh, Wonder Woman. Lois Lane, Lana Lang, Lex Luthor, Lana Luthor. Yeah, Superman did have all Lucy of, Lane. A, a, an L thing. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Marvin uh, Mixel Pixlick. On... I can never say that. <laughs> <laughs> it would have worked if I could have said it. It's um, it's 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 Mr. Mixiet Pitalik. Yeah, but what's his first name? Mr. No. That's his title. 
No, he's a pixie. His name is Mister. <laughs> um, my first note in this chapter is on uh, bootleg page twenty nine. Uh, I have a page seventeen. Okay. I mean, I just, uh, my note here is just a rant about uh, something I've already kind of talked about about how he, he. I think I think at this point he's describing the future. Mm-hmm. And I think he he was a little too conservative with his estimate about how fucked up the world would be in 25 years. Like, for one, it only took 10 years. <laughs> and and like specifically, like where where in his world, everyone's tuned into the Oasis in our world. Everyone's tuned into TikTok and Reddit and Twitch and Facebook and Amazon Prime and Netflix and Disney Plus and news about Disney Plus and who's getting canceled and who's the new darling and all this other shit that like has always been around, but it feels like it's like spinal tapped up to 11. And it, at this point in time and, and at the same time, like it's all booming while the rest of our economy fails Mm -hmm. while like we are suffering through a viral pandemic. We are like people of a massive amount of Americans have died because of the pandemic and, uh, like lots of businesses are going under lots of like the economy's having problems like and pretend digital currency is skyrocketing well it was now it's now it's oh. dipping sorry um, I, didn't, I didn't mean to it's okay uh, <laughs> i'm sorry um but you understood the, the 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 following of something so pretend but my, well it. yes yes but but more specifically the idea of the escapism of twitter tit twitch sure. facebook tiktok reddit uh all those all those things that people can lose themselves in even vr i mean we're literally people are using a like rudimentary like pretty advanced but still rudimentary vr systems right now um to escape this reality mm-hmm. uh and it's it's just happening now and and like so big swaths of texas are now out of power and all that and it just makes me wonder i really hope this isn't the new normal like that's what i'm concerned about i guess is like i i we are our childhoods were in the what I'm worried was the peak of civilization. Like I'm worried we're on this decline towards a Ready Player One esque reality. Like when he talked about his mom being having been hit the hardest because she was born to a generation that had everything and had to watch it watch it go away. Yes. Yeah that that one hit hard. Because yes, I'm like it, if if anybody's that it's it's us. Right. Like we we're we're going to have lived in the time where it was awesome and then die in the time when it's awful. Right. And if, you know, our children, unfortunately, you're the only one who has children. I don't think that's unfortunate. You know, what I mean is like, yeah, I mean, I don't have kids who I have to watch suffer in the future. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. We're going to have laser VR. It's any day now. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, I could go on. (laughs) <laughs> I could keep talking about how awful everything is right now, um, but that's that's sad and boring. And as uh, as your wife says, she doesn't like it when I'm sad and boring. Um, <laughs> so so uh, we can go to my next note, okay? Which is uh, very simply, it's a pet peeve alert. Oh, um, which is that I don't like it when people call cold air Arctic air if they're not in the fucking Arctic. Okay. No one ever calls warm air equatorial air. But what about all the times people say things like Gobi air, Sahara air? 
Oh yeah, I've heard that all the time. No, Death I've never Valley heard that. Air. Never heard that. And you haven't had. You know why? Because no, nobody fucking says it. It's not a fucking thing. No, like, but people. I, I heard it today on the news. Someone said Arctic Air. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about the polar vortex is hitting Texas, and I was like, maybe that counts because it's still basically the same weather pattern in both. Or maybe you could have pulled the air from the Arctic to right. Right. Again, that's that that could qualify. Right. But the Arctic Circle or the region of the planet called the Arctic. Distinct and separate from the Antarctic, which is also fucking cold. Or what? What about these clowns that say uh, "frozen tundra"? Am I right? Because tundra means frozen ground. It's like ATM machine. It's frozen, frozen. Oh. So it's redundant. Well, I got. I guess like. Well, it's I all I could bring to the wet to the annoying weather pet peeve party. I guess I've never thought about tundra as being frozen because it, you know, it's it's supposed to be, but it's not anymore. Well, yes, um, but I mean, the tundra is that's the definition of tundra is frozen ground. Is that part of the definition? Oh my to god, be frozen. Do we need because to me for, it, it's we'll like for the new word alert. Well, if it's not, a, I mean, it's a word I I guess I thought I know knew. <laughs> you know, fine. Because to I me, tundra right is now. just vast expanses of, uh, like loamy. Like land with without much elevation. Toyota tundra. Okay, a vast, flat, treeless Arctic region of Europe, Asia, and North America in which the subsoil is permanently permafrost, permafrozen. Okay, frozen. Fantastic. So we were both right. Yeah, but I was more right. You would want that to be the case. It's, I would want that to be the case. However, this time it is. It's a nice little gorge you got there. I don't know what you're talking about. <sighs> um. All right, uh, I have only an overview after that, uh, which I probably should have said at the beginning of the chapter. <laughs> it's more world building. We've kind of touched on it. Yeah, I mean, in this in this chapter, they basically just go through like, okay, who who is Wade? Where, what is his situation? Uh, what, what his... are the what are the stacks? What is the oasis? The what stacks is Al- are uh, sometimes twenty story high uh, trailer parks, just right. to stacked on each other on frail construction lattices it's lattices like those, that's the word yeah. i'm looking for or or framework just right. yeah just barely held together uh making these pro temp high rises that are rickety as fuck yep um and the, the nice you, ones have running water <laughs> should that's, you describe what uh what halliday's egg hunt is halliday's egg hunt i james halliday left a digital message uh, all kinds of references in it, saying that uh, he has left three keys in the oasis, and the first to claim them can then uh, open the way to the Easter egg and obtain all the wealth and power right. of the oasis. And everyone wants it. And everyone wants it. And therefore, what are gunters? Egg hunters. They're, they're people who are uh, people who have avatars in the oasis who spend their time trying to crack the code of what is happening in uh, what, what, what the first clues mean, where they could find whatever to, to maybe find the, the keys to unlock holidays, you know, riches and wealth and all that. It's like a crusade for the Holy grail, if you will. It's very much like one of those. There's a lot more other like vocabulary words that we get introduced to, but mainly this chapter is about, like grounding ourselves in Wade's situation. Mm-hmm. So what's your note? Your my, next note. My next note was on 
uh, bootleg page 29. Wait, I want to talk about Wade's video game of life in the stacks. I, yes, I just yes. liked how dark it was, how he had to avoid uh, crackheads or something, uh, uh, pedophiles and drug pushers. And you're like, oh, God. And he makes it into a game. And that's just part of that same, well, this is my reality. Do do. <laughs> um, I feel like there was a mistake uh, by the the people who made the movie to not make a like downloadable mobile app or a like a game you could put on your like PlayStation or something that would be a side scrolly platformer that is this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, side scrolly platforms are actually really popular right now with like with gamers. Like there are new versions of those kind of games that are the out Scott there. Pilgrim game from like almost ten years ago is still really popular. Yeah, they totally should have had something like this. I, I mean, it maybe it just didn't have the same cachet, but Scott Pilgrim didn't do well. I feel like Ready Player One, in, at least in theaters, did better than Scott Pilgrim did, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Scott Pilgrim's pretty great, but... Oh, right. Okay, so this is when he's describe, describing his hideout away from his aunts. In a pile of cars, he has uh, a van that's been covered up by other cars, and like he knows how to get to, and, know, and from the outside, you wouldn't know there was a room in there. And he mentioned that the van seats had been pulled out probably to use as furniture. We did that. We totally did that. My mom had the big Chevy van that had the removable bench seats that we took out and used as furniture in our house. Wow. Um, so that's another just another one of those moments where I'm like, oh, my God, I get this. <laughs> I get this book, man. Shit. Man, um, if only you could hang out with Ernest Klein. No, I don't know if that would work. You'd meet your hero and it would be awful. It's not my hero, though. That's what I'm saying. This this book is just a this 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 was a perfect. This book was written at a perfect place for him, and I read it at a perfect place for me, and that's where nice. it intersected. And I don't know if it would continue on. I know at some point he references Discworld. Oh yeah, and all the different things he has to read: Discworld, Ringworld, all the worlds. He also references Pratchett when he lists the authors. Yeah. Um. Uh. And then yeah, since we're bookending it, his his password to get into the Oasis. It was just a nice. Last Starfighter. Oh, I have no idea. I've never seen Last Starfighter. Oh, shit. See, I totally thought you would be there. So uh, his password, you have been recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Zura and the Kodan Armada. It's, it's, uh, it's Last Starfighter. Oh. I, just I just imagine that. Robert Preston saying that. Oh, I can't because I don't know who Because, you know, Robert Preston uh, played uh, Solari, but he also played uh, the voice of the Last Starfighter game. Oh, yeah. I got that. Yeah, totally. I think, it, I think I know I what you're talking. I said about. Solari, but I think I got his name. I was like Centauri or something like that. I fucked up. I fucked up. I'm not as lead as I thought I was. Uh, I'm embarrassed for you. Because uh, someone as lead as me would never make that kind of error. So <laughs> I ended my notes on this chapter with basically what I said before, but this was slightly in a better way. This book takes me back to a rough period, not particularly harrowing like Wade's, but formative. And it plugs directly into all the escapism I had at the time. Yeah. And so that's, that's what I mean. This is very nostalgic for me because yeah. it's like revisiting my nostalgia, but also what I was forward projecting and imagining when I you know, would blend all these worlds in my head. And so that's why I like this book. Yeah, I, uh, it's, it's a lot, this book is probably, I don't know, it, it might be the closest thing we'll ever get to recapturing our Harry Potter run, mm. because it was like the same thing for you, like mm-hmm. there were these books that you cherish and value, and they were really important for you at the time you read them, and then every time you subsequently read them, and we talked about this, like, in that series about how those books are kind of like Horcruxes in themselves, um, and how they, 
you know, like, like you as the reader burn a part of yourself into each one of those books. And so when you reread it, you are transported back in time to that younger version or previous version of yourself Mm -hmm. who was uh, newly burned by these books or branded by these books. And, and so what I hear you saying is that ready player one is another one of those. It is, it has a little bit more of a inception feel because there's levels within levels. Because it takes me back to the time I read it, which took me back then to other times right, in the past. Right. Um, also, though, I don't. I, I like to think I won't have quite the same blind spot, because um, these are sort of third-party things that I'm connecting with the book with. Whereas I've heard a lot of criticism about this book, and I have no problem addressing that. Whereas Harry Potter, I kind of had to have some blinders removed. Yeah, sorry about that. That's okay. Um, I mean, with the blast shield down, I couldn't even see how am I supposed to fight? <laughs> well, I loved watching that sink in. That was great. No, no, I knew what it was. What no, sunk no, in was that I, I couldn't, I didn't know what the next uh, reach out. No, your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. Uh, that's what it was. Fuck, fuck. I couldn't remember what the next line was. It's okay. You know what sucks? Okay, I, tangent time. <laughs> For the longest time, I refused to watch Star Wars. Mm. because I didn't have a copy that was a... I didn't have a good original copy. You I had refused. seen it. Oh, of course I okay, seen Okay, okay. I just wanted to make sure you weren't saying I refused to watch it for the first time. You just... You no. Refused. Gotcha. Okay. No, no. I refused to watch... Like, I... Okay. I grew up on Star Wars like every uh, good American. Like every gunter. Um, like every gunter. I grew up on Star Wars, watching it all the time, knowing all the things I needed to know about Star Wars. And then by the time I was around the same time I was getting really into it, um, they started coming out with the special editions in theaters. And I was like, this is amazing. I want to, of course I want to go see Star Wars in the theaters. You you can do that. I didn't know you could do that. I thought it was just this like treasure, treasured little tape, these three tapes that would sit in my house. Mm-hmm. And my dad would go, do you want to watch this? And I'd go, yeah. <laughs> and, and then we would watch it. And then like, uh, and then the special editions came out. We get to go see those in the theater. And then they were like, cool, but there's something weird about them. And then as I grew older and it became harder and then impossible to find the original. And then that itself became its own kind of egg hunt that like I made a decision that I was I was just I, I couldn't bring myself to watch the special editions mm-hmm. because all of the editions that were made started to stick out. And then that would be the only shit I would notice. I would only notice, Oh, here's the added scene. Everything felt like it had a, like it was dog eared. Like here's the scene with the job of the hut in the first movie. Here's Han sh- uh, shooting second. Here's, um, you know, the ring around Alderaan when it explodes. Mm-hmm. Here's like all all of them. You name all any of them. Here's the 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 robot who who smacks the other robot on the head. The Dubax, Isley. The Dubax moving too much. Here's sure. the like two, the 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 extra big dinosaurs that have the Jawas swinging from them. Like all that stuff. I would notice every single one of them, and it would take me out of the movie. So I decide I made a personal decision to no longer watch that shit, and just be like, I'm done until I can watch original Star Wars. I don't want to watch that movie anymore because it just it just feels wrong. Um. It's like if you chipped a tooth and you were, while you were eating, you would feel that tooth, the bit of tooth in your mouth, you'd find it, and you wouldn't be able to enjoy the food anymore. That's how the special editions feel for me. So 
uh, hypothetically, I could have found another copy mm-hmm. that is like a, a, a closer to original copy and uh, and in HD and watch that a, a, when I want. Hypothetically, that could have happened. But yeah, so I it's it's like I basically should I should have been watching that movie once a year at minimum every year of my fucking life and i haven't because george lucas stole it from us so anyway that's why sometimes i'm slow on the uptake on star wars references where i shouldn't be sure um so i apologize i'm apologize apologize rob you deserve better okay um what else did you want to say that's it for me on this chapter well then that brings us to chapter two uh as my as my sort of preliminary synopsis well, i've got yeah, let's get to that school sixers artemis h that's what i wrote yep. down. if you want to talk about any of that well we just get more introductions to uh people like artemis who artemis is a is a another gunter who has a blog about stuff and wade kind of has a crush on her i think he says totally like, crush he, on you know, her he, he talks about how she's self-deprecating and also like really intelligent and smart and cool and like quirky he just knows from like her a... avatar picture that she probably looks just like her avatar she's not one of these people who who puts on airs in a fake face man she's she's real and he can sense that yeah she's not some sort of manic pixie dream girl she's, she's just totally a manic pixie dream girl yeah i know okay okay <laughs> that's why i said it um and we might we, we meet his friend H, H, who yep. who's equally even more popular than Artemis, but instead of having a blog, H competes in tournaments, and is really popular and 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 kind of a a professional fighter in the world. So yeah, am I allowed to spoil the H thing? Uh, Here's mean, why. Okay. Here's why. Okay. It the movie did such a bad job. Oh, it so up. bad. It was so. We're gonna modulate the. Actor's voice. Well, okay, here's my point. Here's my point. Should we say it? Like, I mean, yeah. Well, let's do it. Okay. If you if you so, if you're reading this for the first time, spoilers. If so you, if you're reading this for the first yeah. time, and you haven't seen the movie. Spoilers. If you, if you're reading this for the first time and you haven't seen the movie, spoilers. Like we've said it three times. Spoilers. Uh, pretty big spoiler, as far as I understand. If you were reading the book, the book, as far as I can tell, really. It's supposed to be. I mean, it it wants heard, it to mean more than I guess it does. Right, but it's also supposed to be kind of surprising if you when you get to that point. Yeah. Um. So the, the idea is that H uh, presents as this fighter, this big tough guy character in the game. Turns out is a lady. Yes. Um, a, a a black lady since it's a white avatar. That I mean right. I feel like that's all part of it. Um, which in the movie I believe was she was an orc or something like that. An ogre. She had like cyborg belly. I remember um, big eight... tusks and like green skin. I don't think so. I um, think so. One of us is right, and it's me. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure H in the movie is supposed to look like just a like what I I, I I've well now you have me worried that I'm gonna sound awful. Um, so now I'm gonna have to find pictures. Okay, I was wrong about the tusks and the green skin. Yeah, it's more of a blue there's... skin, but it's still like an ogre orc thing. I think it just looks like a dude who has like bluish skin and is mostly cyborg. Well, I mean, one of us is right again, and it seems like it's not me. <laughs> yeah, uh. Uh, like I remember that the 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 main feature to me was the uh, the piston torso that's missing most of its belly bits. Sure. Anyway, I forgot all about that. Um. But Maybe yeah, with this, watch the movie more. with this modulated voice that screams, I'm a woman with a modulated voice. 
yeah, that was the thing in the movie that really like it's it took me out of it. it was like there's no covering that up. Right. That at no point was that hidden well enough to make me. What, get why are, why are we doing this? Yeah, yeah, affectations like all these different things. Just something about it just felt like oh, obviously that's a female act- actor. Mm-hmm. That's a thing that would have been a big deal, I guess, maybe if I hadn't seen the movie. It doesn't have too much bearing on the plot, though, so I'm not too concerned with spoiling it. What do, what do you think about school in the Oasis? Because I don't think that was touched on in the movie at all. Not really, it wasn't. Uh, Wade basically seemed like he was already kind of out of school. Um, school in the Oasis sounds like a dream. There's a lot more control in the school of the Oasis than there is in real life. Mm-hmm. It seems like the... The idea he mentions this idea of being able to mute people, um, that seems like a crazy hack. <laughs> like if like life would have been so much easier if you could have just turned people off mm-hmm. and said no more talking from you. The uh, <laughs> but yeah I I uh, I don't know it seems it seems interesting to like go to that school level but I kind of feel like we basically have a similar access to information and things like that now. Uh, I think the main problem is like the main difference would be you would you're supposed to trust that all the information ex- like available in the Oasis is real and honest, whereas that's not the case in the real world. Like a lot of information that's out there is total bullshit and uh, l- like deliberately deceptive and terrible. And we have a whole subsect of people in this country and world right now who are buying into that shit because they're very stupid. Uh, and they need something to be more interesting than the real world is like the real world's depressing. The real world's boring and the real world's sinister. It's not a blockbuster movie. <laughs> like it's not like the real world. Isn't as cool as independence day. It's a lot scarier and sadder. So I think that a lot of people look at the scary and sad and they go, I want it to be better. And I I can accept this if I think that there's pedophile cannibals in Congress. Right. And that's sad to me. (laughs) It makes it sadder and scarier. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) as your wife says, she doesn't like it when I do this, so I'm going to stop doing it again. Well, Uh, let's talk about the Sixers. Let's talk about the Sixers. The Sixers are... Uh, there's a company called IOI that's tried a couple of hostile takeovers of the company that owns the Oasis, Gregarious Simulation Systems, something like that. And they're, after since hostile takeovers didn't work, they realize, hey, but we could still win the egg and then we're in charge and we can uh, market everything, fill the Oasis with ad- advertisements and just be generally horrible, monetize everything. Mwahahaha, twirl mustache, twirl mustache. Um, and all of their agents uh, have six-digit numbers that all start with six, so they're called the Sixers. Um, and there's a line in the book that has often been uh, derided as the bad writing of this book. It's, in, it's indicative of the writing. And I always find this line amusing just because it's something that a, I think a teenager would come up with and say... And it's in quotes, so it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, and I don't think it's an example of bad writing. And that line was, These days, most Gunters refer to them as the sucksores because they sucked. It's stupid, but it's funny. I mean, because they sucked is in fucking parentheses. It knows what it's doing. This is not bad writing. This is just, just nerdy humor. 
yeah, there, there's there definitely needs to be room in the world for bad between bad writing and dumb writing. Yeah, and dumb on purpose writing. Yeah, but dumb ne- nevertheless. Sure. Because uh, I I th- I had the similar sort of like upturned nose feeling at when reading that like ugh. <laughs> See, I'm just like because they, <laughs> they, they it's exactly how I would underline a bad joke. I'm like the sucks. It is exactly how you would underline. You get a bad it? Because 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 they suck. Yeah, I'm getting yeah. it. So, uh, I'm completely here for that. That was character building. I built character. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> That's all I've got for that, for chapter two. My note is that in this, in this chapter, he mentions the, the two John Hughes trilogies, I think is how he refers to it. Mm-hmm. The girl one and the boy one. The girl one and the boy one. And then I realized after he mentioned that, that I've only seen Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller. You've never seen Weird Science. Oh, I saw Weird Science. Okay. I've seen Weird Science. Yeah. I haven't seen Pretty in Pink. You haven't seen 16 Candles. I haven't seen oh, that. Oh, man. That 16 Candles was a big one for me. Um, it's, Yeah. 16 Candles. Pretty in Pink, I've never really liked. And Some Kind of Wonderful, I liked a lot, but never saw more than once. All right, so then that brings us to chapter three. All right, you want to talk about the over overview Let's see, first? Yeah, I got I've got the basement, I rock one-upmanship. Go for it. Explain. In this, I almost said in this episode. In this episode, Wade is invited. He's got a couple minutes before school starts, and H invites Wade into his private chat room called the basement. And here, chat rooms are realized three-dimensional rooms you can visit and H's looks like a 1980s rec room basement that you've seen in any number of movies wood paneling posters tapes all the nerdy stuff um and they're sitting there they get into an argument while playing a game over uh, I think it's Lady Hawk yeah yeah Yeah. which I love Lady Hawk no I, I I have fond memories of watching Lady Hawk and trying to rewatch it in my teens. I realize, wait a second, this has got a poppy synth score, and I hate this shit. <laughs> so again, the book at least got me. Uh, takes a different argument, but uh, I was like, I can't handle medieval Rutger Hauer and Matthew Broderick while listening to synthesizers. I don't get this. It's not for me. It's no fire starter. It's no fire. Tangerine Dream? Come on. That's the shit, man. Um, so they get in an argument, but then Irock shows up, who has a much smaller role in the book than he does in the movie, uh, but shows up to be obnoxious, and then they turn their vitriol they had for each other onto him because he's a real poser, as Will Wheaton reads it, and show him up for being a poser, and then school starts. Was being a poser a big deal for you in your school, in high school? I mean, it was bandied about, but it was never a big thing. Yeah, it it, it became a really big deal for maybe maybe it was just me, mm-hmm. but like the I, I mean, it, it wasn't and, and a big deal for like a, a very small period of time, and I think it was because like the whole concept of a poser is all about gatekeeping. It's all about declaring yourself. It's one of the most toxic aspects of, of geekdom and, mm. and nerdery is this idea of that there's an elite group of people that only that are actually like awful societal wretches who no one cares about or loves. Arguably the cast of this book. Right. 
but who all so they have to build this world where they have they have hierarchy mm-hmm. and so the gatekeeping aspect of that is really important and i remember being a kid and watching slc punk and being like very influenced by this concept of uh the poser and like that being a person who was you know insincere in their commitment to an ideology of 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 a, of a commitment to whatever you know pop culture thing you were going to commit yourself to matthew lillard's character in that movie commits himself to this concept of what punk rock is and that was also pretty important in my high school years like the the concept of punk rock the concept of being like independent Mm -hmm. and and individual and 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 self-expression being very important aspects of of your self-identity and if somebody came in and they were like oh i i'm gonna dress the part but not live it, then you would be, you would be entitled to gatekeep them and, and, and bring it to their attention, how they were being a pivzier. How they were less than you were. Yeah. Well, not even less than we were, but more like, it's like a check. I always looked at it more like a checking of faith, like being like, you know, Hey, you know, you're straying. You're like, did you make those buttons? (laughs) You know what I mean? Did you did you make those buttons or did you buy them? Right. Did you? Uh, I mean, where there is, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and all of it turns out to be all complete bullshit. Yeah, anyway. I mean, you're arbitrarily and artificially setting a standard that the other person right. can't meet because you've just set it. Right. And so it's a way to put yourself forward. But but the idea of setting the standard is like it's all actually like it's like there's this ether of what the standard actually is. That's why it feels so much like a religion. Like it's sure. this thing about like. There's something out there that is sublime, that is like exactly what the truth is, mm-hmm. and like the only way we're gonna get each other to maintain our standards of of sincerity and authenticity is to check each other when we're not behaving. Gotcha. But then it becomes very much like, what's the point <laughs> anyway? So like this idea of that and stuff, it, it reminds me of those those time periods, and they still exist. Like there's still people I know who do that shit and it's it's so childish and it smacks of childishness to me um but you know it's not hampering their lives at all so why should they ever stop but yeah that that concept of the poser and irock being a poser which is you know it's funny because it, a lot of times the, the poser is like concept comes from someone who like in wade's case is like actually impoverished so they they don't really have a choice to feed into whatever it is that they they do have and what he does have is a an intelligence and an ability to commit himself to these to learning this mythology of James Halliday and all this other stuff whereas Iraq has the fortune the money to actually just play the game play the oasis Wade doesn't have that Wade stuck rereading the fucking user manual over and over and over again occasionally hitching rides off worlds to uh slay some barely threatening monsters to get a little bit of experience points yeah and in five years he's only got up to like level three right and he's just doing that grind and since that's all he can do he spends his time reading and watching yeah. but anyway it's it interesting to, to be reacquainted with that that world for a brief moment of this this bullshit competitiveness it's all really just about giving different people who own different properties your money mm-hmm. and we got a little bit more information about how the school works so do you have any like proper notes? I don't. It was pretty much about the Lady Hawk thing, and I already touched on that. Well, there's two things that we should probably talk about. Okay. Um, the first one is, and this is what I, I kind of anticipated this being a note you would have. Mm-hmm. The slurs. Did you want to talk about the slurs? Oh, 
it, it didn't occur to me because um, I put it firmly in its time period. Which is where the this, future. This is the future, but written at a time where people were slowly starting to approach sensitivity to slurs across the board. I'm not using them. But it was it was homophobic stuff. It was stuff that were, you would. It's the kind of slurs you would find on like you're talking about that time period. So like in you know 2006 2007, you start getting the like people playing Halo with each other online over a headset, and you can actually talk to one another, and you start having people shout like the the development of the shouting homophobic, racist, sexist slurs at each other. Well, not even that, but like the. Uh... That, that mindset of Ernest Klein, because he's from going to be from a time where it was just casually used, like in the original Bill and Ted. Yeah, but I what, I what I'm really talking about here is more specifically the way those phrases are used on gaming platforms. Mm-hmm. And I think that's more what it's indicative of to me. Than, you can talk about Ernest Klein. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying like in the idea of the Oasis being a video game, mm-hmm. it, I thought it was actually kind of interesting to include that sort of like homophobic slur like those those that smack talk if you will that was at the time when this book was written so common and so commonplace even to now where they're only now starting to realize like like we had a local story here today about on the evening news mm-hmm. about a uh, a local like uh, high school hockey teams making a rule about profanity mm-hmm. and uh, they apparently didn't have not profanity. It was specifically like like hate crime kind of profanity, like the racist, sexist, like homophobic stuff. Um, they were there, like, yeah, if you if you are caught saying that stuff on the ice, guess what? You're in trouble. Sure. Because and 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 you'll have to take classes on sportsmanlike conduct and stuff like that. Seems weird, but like this is this is where we are now in in progressing towards that stuff. Back then. Like I said, when I was when I had my Xbox 360, you know, if you got if you dared to log on and talk to people on headset, that's all you would hear. I think two things for me, I'd never, ever to this day have logged on to play with people online. So I've never experienced I've heard about it, never experienced it. And to me, uh, though it said in the future and it was written in 2011, this was how, you know, teenagers would talk to each other. When I was growing up, so I was just like, this is just teenagers being teenagers. Not to excuse it as locker room talk. I'm not saying it's excusable. I am saying, not that I'm saying locker room talk is excusable. I'm, not, I'm saying I'm not making that argument. Um, but it just seems, you know, extension of the world building to me. It's not something that specifically stood out. It seemed like, yeah, this is what they would say. Yeah. So that's why I didn't specifically remark on it. Yeah, I, I thought that I remembered you. I heard some rumblings. I think before we decided to, before we even put this book in the rotation, mm-hmm. talking about this book and saying that there's things that are problematic about it. So I guess I was assuming that was this. no. I think that it. I think it is. I I just think this book was written right on an eclipse of a shift, a social shift, and it's the end of its era kind of thing. And the audience that read it carried a lot of that momentum you know of that old era and that's why the book was so popular but then the new era has kind of taken over and it's like oh no no this is not a lot of this is not okay anymore yeah yeah. i think that's kind of what's happened to this book okay 
Uh, I think it happens at least once more in these chapters that we've read. I think it happened twice. Sure. It's going to be a sore thumb kind of thing for me. Absolutely. Call it out every time. But uh, I don't need to do that either. It's just like, it's 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 like the anachronisms. It's like things that aren't exactly perfect. It's just going to, it's going to, it's like bumpy roads. I'm just, I'm going to notice it. My only other note here is we were talking about Star Wars earlier. Mm. And we were talking about how I've only watched the, only, only stopped myself from watching the special editions. Sure. So, there's a part in this book on page 40 for me where uh, H says, yep, downloaded every single issue from the Hatchery's archive, still working on my way through them. I was just reading this great piece on Ewoks, The Battle for Endor. Mm -hmm. Made for TV, released in 1985, I recited. Star Wars trivia was one of my specialties. Total garbage. A real low point in the history of the wars. Says you, assface. It has some great moments. So, uh, at this point, I feel like it's worth talking about... Um, the <laughs> he holds up the Ewoks Battle for Endor. Well, and have, Caravan of Courage. I happen to have what is probably a totally legitimately purchased <laughs> and, and not at all illegal copy of uh star wars ewok adventures on dvd wow, we're just a pack and, of thieves and the battle it's the episode where i my my true colors are revealed again here's the problem these motherfuckers won't release this shit in sure. any other way so the no. only way you can get it is like this you get yeah and that's what i'm saying if 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 you want it you gotta take it that's the point um if you see something so, you want and you can't have it you'd make sure you can have it so somehow when i was a kid I, 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 it has to be it. I, I had to have watched this as a kid because there's a vivid memory I have mm-hmm. of like some people being in like a uh, an Ewok style bird cage where like a Rancor monster is outside of it being all scary. Um, I've I've only rewatched uh, Caravan of Courage. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the one with the kid with the headband? Because I remember that picture a lot. Yeah, yeah. Caravan of Courage is it's not Battle for Endor. Um. Honestly, dude, I don't know which one's first. Okay. Uh, I think Caravan of Courage is first. The one I watched, the one I watched, I think is the first one, uh, just has this, like, it's like family crash lands and then they get separated. I got to rewatch them because, like, like it, they're not great, but they're also awesome. They're also so weird. Is Warwick Davis in those? I don't, I don't know. I'd be curious. I don't know. Um, but the point is to back up my further, uh, comment about how you can buy something illegally as long as you also buy the original like the the real thing of it so i have this blu-ray or this blu-ray i have this double feature dvd that i i bought it from amazon so like if if amazon's selling illegal stuff that's not on me that's not on you Um, i'm gonna say i agree with that but even that even that backup i still uh found a way to get a vhs copy (laughs) of the ewok adventure so wait, that has a different title. Is that Caravan of Courage or is that Battle for Endor? This is copyright 1984. That doesn't help me at all because I don't. Well, he did say 85. Was there a TV show? Was one like a backdoor pilot? I don't well, know. the one that they mention in uh, the book in the book is Battle for Endor, right? It's the second one. I'm so confused. Yeah, Battle of Endor is the second one. Okay, released in 1985. This is this must be Caravan of Courage, released in 1984. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is the one I saw. It's, it's so weird. But, like, I wonder if... I mean, we have an extremely limited 
audience, but I wonder if anyone's ever heard about these, like these things. So because I have the VHS, I can read you what the back of the VHS says. Okay. So keep it. in mind, this is a horrible movie. <laughs> this is stuff that like was made for TV. It's, it's total crap. Um, that's not entirely fair. It's just like, it's by comparison to what star Wars itself was. This is bad. It's a pale imitation. All right. So let's start on the back. Um, so if you guys don't know, if you're too young to know what a VHS tape is, uh, <laughs> VHS tapes were the DVDs, the Blu-rays of their day, obviously, but they, they well, were, I uh, mean, Betamax was the Blu-ray of their day. Come on. Sure. Sure. But, <laughs> but the boxes came with all this info on the back and in Blu-rays and stuff still have that, but they're usually like nowadays they're usually covered with like specs. Mm-hmm. Like there's not that much actual text describing the thing you're reading. But back then, it was just shitty VHS tapes. So you just had, like, th- you didn't need specs. You knew what it was. Right. Um, or if you did, they were very small. Like, this movie is Dolby. Sure. Anyway, so here's, uh, start with a quote. A quote recommending the movie. Quote, jam-packed with cinematic wizardry. Mm, I like jam. Oh, do you, do you, who do you think said that? George Lucas. Leonard fucking Malton. Mm, okay. Way off. <laughs> the impish furry, furry creatures from the last movie of the Star Wars trilogy, Return of the Jedi, are now in their own very own film, praised by Daily Variety as imaginative and startlingly original. Oof. A, per, a perennial. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> Executive producer George Lucas, together with the award-winning special effects team from Industrial Light and Magic, have brought the visual wonder uh, and technological achievement of Lucasfilm to the Ewok adventure. After a crash landing on the planet Endor, Mace and his little sister, Sindel, uh, befriend a magical Ewok and embark on a quest to find their missing parents. It's a journey that leads them into the most secret regions of Endor and, in a thrilling climax, pits them against Gorax, a fearsome underground giant. Award-winning director John Corti who apparently directed the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman, has assembled an outstanding uh, cast, including Warwick Davis, mm. nice from, from Willow and Return of the Jedi, in a film filled with, quote, sheer enchantment and excitement. From the ho- That's what the Hollywood Reporter said. Sure. And then it also says at the bottom, also available, Ewoks the Battle for Endor. Um, I'd like to point out that Endor, not a planet. It's a moon. I've said my piece. No. Yes. No, Endor is a planet. The Endor's... forest moon the forest moon of Endor is where the Ewoks live. Right. Endor itself is its own planet. <sighs> I thought that was like like saying the half sunken city of Venice. No. The, I mean, that's not how I've interpreted it. How well, I interpreted it was that how did that, how did how did Wicket get from the moon of Endor to Endor proper? How do we know Endor itself is not a gas giant like Yavin? It might be. It might. You might. You might be correct. I'm just saying that like the the, the way it's the only way it's mentioned in in Return of the Jedi is the forest moon of Endor, and I feel like that is like saying the volcanic moon of. Io, the volcanic moon of Jupiter. See, I thought it'd be like the volcanic moon of Io. See? Maybe we're both right. Indoor, designated IX3244-A, is a fictional moon in the Star Wars universe. 
Known for its okay. endless forests, savannas, grasslands, mountain ranges, and a few oceans. Okay. What what does it orbit? I'm looking. The moon orbits Tana. Ah, there we go. I was incorrect. The Ewokies word for Endor's host planet, I guess, giant located in the Endor system. So that gets but a little confusing. Is, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, no, no, I wish yeah, you. Yeah, I'm with yeah, you. yeah. Why is fucking cause, bullshit? Because Endor system implies that the sun is named Endor. Because you named the system and, after and the sun. And this moon is also named named Endor of this planet that's in the system. And they said the Endor has two suns, so I'm very confused. None of this makes sense. I didn't sense. see any suns in that movie at all. Just daughters. Okay. Is that what we're doing here? Um, no, no, oh. it's not. But it's fine. We're, let's let's just move on. Okay. Um, so, yeah, if you haven't seen the Ewok Adventures, uh, meh. <laughs> um, you, you know what? Just anything that they did before the special editions and after Return of the Jedi are pretty bad. Um, or even like the holiday special, which came out right after the first movie. Yep. God, that thing's horrible. But Not also, good. you got you got to watch it. You have to watch it. Although I will say, if you can, it should be on Disney Plus now. If you can find the Mark Hamill hosted episode of the uh, Muppet Show, it's amazing Ooh. magic. That sounds great. It's well, I believe that uh, should bring us to chapter four. All I wrote, uh, notes, synopsis, everything, I just wrote the word school. Yeah. More... Uh, chap- chapter four is basically just Wade explaining that he's poor and he can't fly to other planets in the Oasis. We've talked about that. Um, there's this other moment, though, on page 47 where Wade suggests that his teacher could be a small Inuit woman living in Anchorage, Alaska. So not only is I think that kind of lazy foreshadowing of H's reveal, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's also, I thought maybe we should talk about that, <laughs> being that we live in Anchorage, Alaska. Don't and, tell them. All, oh my God, they're all going to stalk us now. And that the, uh, what do you think, like knowing how messed up the economy is and energy and all that other stuff in this world, how do you think Anchorage would fare in the 2044 version of the world? Uh, better than most. You think so? Because because we're not going to be on the, you know, the 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 new Sahara, which will be the Midwest, thanks to global warming. We're going to be the new California. That's uh, optimistic. <laughs> I'm an optimistic kind of guy. Everyone says so. What do you think? Well, I was thinking more economically. Oh. And and thinking that I, it's probably I don't I, I. Our stacks won't be that high, as high as Ohio, because of earthquakes. Yes, but also like I kind of feel like there will be a lot fewer people here than there are now. Oh no, because that's what that's what I'm saying. The the whole like Hollywood after California sinks into the ocean will be New Hollywood. Everyone's going to move up here because it no, won't be would, so what? hot. They'll just go to Vancouver, where they already have the infrastructure. Uh, uh, Vancouver, it's Vancouver's closer. on its way out. No. No. Not, they would, uh, no, they would either go to Vancouver or they'd go to Georgia. Again, these places that already have this infrastructure. Georgia's going to be so hot. Are you kidding me? It's gonna be air like, conditioning exists. All that Arctic air. I mean... They're they're getting a lot of cold right now. That's true. Um, just because the climate's changing doesn't mean we have any control over how it's going to change. Yeah, but it's going to be like yeah, you know, it's going to be like Venus, where uh, 
In the winter, it's going to be freezing, and in the summer, it's going to be 200 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. It's going to suck. Um, well, I guess that answers the question. <laughs> I, I think I, I think it's going to be pretty bad uh, up here. That's all I got. Okay. <laughs> um, that brings us to... Chapter 5. Holiday History. This chapter is still more exposition about the way the Oasis works and where it comes from. Pretty much. Although, I do finally have a page note, 69. This is where we talk about the laser VR. Oh, I might have missed that part. Um, very excited it's about It's a part that really sticks with you, isn't it? I, 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 I just really like that idea. And I keep Googling it, and there's only like every now and then one website that I'll ever come up, and I'll be like, oh yeah, this is a thing people are working on, but we're not there yet. Shooting lasers right into your eyes to, to make everything else is like, oh, laser guided, uh, augmented reality. I'm like, I don't want that shit. I want you to shoot lasers into my eyeballs to make imaginary pictures happen. It's all masking uh, for. I'm, I think you might be describing LASIK surgery, which uh, is not something you should be doing. Every day. Every day. LASIK. Eight hours a day. Shoot that LASIK chop, into my face. Chop my retinas right off. Yep. Put them back. Yep. Um, all right. Do you have any more in this chapter? I do not. All right. Let's move on to the last chapter. Chapter six. Uh, in this chapter, Wade just lists a bunch of stuff Halliday was into. <laughs> yeah, basically. And then he, and then he just talks about trying to find clues for the copper key, which he thinks is going to be related to Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, because yep. he found uh, Anorex Almanac. That's Halliday's. Avatar Anorak had a big, just massive, like a Bible of all the shit he liked. And in there, Wade found clues that wrote out a limerick that makes him think the first key will be Dungeons and Dragons themed. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a adventure. It's a module called the Tomb of Horror. Tomb of Horror. Is that it? Yeah. Tomb, Tomb of Horrors? Horror. Horrors, maybe. And he, uh, he talks about how they, they, you know, they've, they've, there's a Dungeons and Dragons world. There's all this stuff where you can find these different places in the Oasis, but there's no uh, version of the module for Tomb of Horrors. So he, he, he believes that once you find that, you'll find the path to the first key. The Dungeons and Dragons planet doesn't have Tomb of Horrors on it. Any other planet that might have something like that, no Tomb of Horrors. So. Oh, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it's hidden somewhere. Mm. Um, the uh, and the chapter ends with the amazing cliffhanger of he's figured it out. So it's a real crazy place for us to end our podcast. It, it episode. is frustrating because I really like. I always remember really liking the discovery of this this first key, um, and I was really excited to get there. I'm like, well, the first seven chapters, it's got to be nope. Right before it, right, right up, just info dump, info dump, info dump, info dump. Fuck. <laughs> my first note here on chapter six is I think most of the info dumps are over. I think yeah. that's optimistic. Oh, I don't maybe. know if that's the case, but God, I'm hoping because they're not horribly boring to read, but I would like some actual action. Yeah. I mean, I got to say, I, I agree with you. I mean, having read this, you know, section of the book, it does feel tedious. And like, again, because I've seen the movie, so I know all this stuff he's going through that he has to explain for people who are reading it for the first time. 
but it's fine. I mean, I'm enjoying it. It's just like those, those, yeah. this part feels plotting. It's the thing I don't like about origin stories. Sure. It's the thing I don't like about you know first movies. Sure. Uh, my my first notes on page sixty two. Okay. Um. And it actually, my note tells me I need to read a paragraph. Oh, exciting. Okay. I devoured each of what Halliday referred to as the holy trilogies, Star Wars, original and prequel trilogies in that order. The Lord of the Rings, The Matrix, Mad Max, Back to the Future, and Indiana Jones. Halliday once said that he preferred to pretend that the other Indiana Jones films from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull onward didn't exist. I tended to agree. So this is just one of those anachronism notes where I think I feel like this book's going to be filled with them at this point mm-hmm. where you have these things that would that now feel like huge additions to these properties because they were so successful that of course the people who own the IPs for them would exploit them further and further. So for example, he mentions Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. He has the foresight to acknowledge that he, he should comment on the, the movies that come after that because there will be. But he but interestingly enough, he he can't predict something as successful as The Mandalorian and its contributions to Star Wars. True. He can't pre- predict all the way Star Wars moved into television with like Rebels and uh, Rogue Squadron or whatever they called their other shows. He doesn't even talk about the Abrams trilogy. Which he doesn't talk because well, he would. I don't even know if he would have known about them right at, at 2010. Right. Um, yeah, that whole trilogy is just it just doesn't exist in this. Um, or it's so weird because he does so far. He doesn't comment at all on anything related to the property of Game of Thrones. True. Which right after this, around 2012, 2011, 2012, became massively successful. The first season of Game of Thrones was right around then. Mm-hmm. So like, it's so interesting to read this like. It's fascinating to read this as an anachronism where you have it right before this huge cultural touchstone erupted mm-hmm. across our, our our world where like but also very interestingly and it kind of might play in has basically also vanished like nobody fucking talks about that show anymore right like it the last season was such a huge letdown that I think people are basically like look at it like a bad dating relationship I'm sure that's why Halliday like, didn't conclude it in his almanac must be why right? must be why um Mandalorian, but also, excised, just being, you can only fit so many words into the book, I mean. But but here's where it falls apart. Here's okay. where this theory falls apart. Okay. Why would you ever exclude Fury Road? That's another one, though. How could he have seen it coming, you know? He couldn't have. I know, I know, I know, I know. But, yeah. like, it's uh, it's just, that's another fun thing about these books, this book. Also, there's, like, he doesn't, he doesn't comment on any of the, like, rise of streaming services. Because, again, around that time, like, Netflix was big but we i don't think we had prime yet we didn't have like definitely didn't have disney plus we don't have many of the like services that have come and even gone crackle since and crunch crunchy roll sushi, sushi roll sushi yeah roll. it was sushi roll no it's crunchy roll you were right oh, it's crunchy roll. whatever whatever though. one of those i know <laughs> um, <laughs> uh shutter shutter uh he references youtube at a certain point sure but um not youtube red no missed the boat on that one but it's just interesting. It's like I just I kind of I just dig again this sort of like snapshot that is an incomplete snapshot. It's sure. kind of fascinating. I think my next note that I want to talk about is this idea that uh, I think it's unfortunate that by their nature, stories that rely on and reference pop culture become kind of instantly dated. Like I was thinking about like 
like we've we we ready player one might function in our world in this weird bubble this weird time period of like between the 90s and now where maybe and maybe that's like the wrong because i'm just i'm looking at it incorrectly but like this weird period where nostalgia itself is marketable mm-hmm. this idea of we can take a thing or a concept of a thing and then build a new narrative around something people already like and then that will bring them into the seats. So, and I was thinking about like, cause you know, like I said, I just watched, so you have things like, uh, uh, like this book, this book is entirely that this book is entirely referencing all these other things. And that brings you in. It endears you to the book. Cause you're like, I like those things. We've, I've talked to you before about the South park concept of, uh, member berries, right. this idea that like we're in this recycled era where like 21 jump streets, a new movie and the, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean becomes a isn't just a ride anymore like you know you have the the Lego movie you have all these different things that are like they're all manufactured sellable products that are based on a thing people have a fondness for from their childhood they're not necessarily new challenging ideas that are like even the Marvel Cinematic Universe this is all referencing back to people having loved the comics as kids or loving the cartoons as kids and then it launches this entire thing and and then, and then you start to get those people who have that, but then also there's other the, the other creatives who make a living and a narrative off of out and out just referencing other properties, multiple which of multiples uh, like sure. like Ready Player One does. And I was thinking about like that's what Dan Harmon does a lot. Like if you look at Community, you look at the success of Rick and Morty, it's very similar. You look at, uh, and I'm sure we'll come to this at this point soon, but like you look at the work of Kevin Smith, who also did the same thing where you just have a lot of referential stuff. A lot of the humor is like referencing Smokey and the Bandit, referencing Star Wars, Superman too, Superman, Indiana Jones, comic books, like all these different things. And it's just constantly, constantly, constantly referencing your, the, these things that aren't based on what you're actually doing. Right. And it, it just, it's fascinating. I wonder if there will, if, if someone's already figured this out and like, I'm sure cause it's been going on long enough but been able to like, I would love to know if there's a word for what this is. Is it, is it nostalgia fiction? Is it like, what is it? Um, but then I thought when I was trying to figure out, like nail down the time frame, I also thought of like who framed Roger Rabbit. And it occurred to me who framed Roger Rabbit is the ready player one of the eighties. Like it, it's the same thing. It's this, it's somebody took the, the, the author who wrote the book, the censoring of Roger Rabbit or whatever it was called. Who censored Roger Rabbit who censored Roger Rabbit like that it's the same fucking thing you take this thing you loved as a kid this whole collection of characters you loved that don't have any reason to interact with each other unless if you imagine a world a fictional world Toontown where they all live together and you can have Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse interacting you can have Daffy Duck and uh, Donald Duck fighting each other you can have all of that and you have your own hero character who comes in and, and, and it has to interact with that world mm-hmm. and you get all your references, you get all your fun, you get all your, your cake and eating it too. And you know, you get all the nostalgia and it just like, it, it wasn't like a huge mind blow, but it was sort of like a, Oh wow. It's a like, really, it's a really good observation. I, I enjoy it. It is that first kind of melting pot of IP. Yeah. 
like the the mix of cart the, the, the like the Looney Tune universe, the mm-hmm. the Disney universe. They the all like, universe. Well, even going back as far as saying there's a shared universe for Disney characters, like those cartoons where Mickey and Goofy and Donald would go on adventures together. Sure. Or you know, going back to to uh, Looney Tunes, and you have Donald and and or not Donald, you have uh, Daffy and Bugs constantly interacting, Bugs and Porky Pig interacting, the uh, Porky and Do- and uh, Daffy interacting. You you have all these 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 mergers, mm-hmm. the Tasmanian Devil trying to eat Bugs Bunny. You know, you they all interact and they make this large thing. Eventually, you could, <laughs> eventually you end up getting Space Jam, but like, which is another same kind of thing. Sure. Uh, the same kind of like through the looking glass, but the looking glass is like a bunch of IPs. Because again, I think they all boil down to basically just being the Alice in Wonderland myth, like falling into the storybook, the the kid in King Arthur's court, like all this stuff is all the same. Um, but it's really interesting to see it in a book that is or a story that's so comprehensive with its IP references. Yep. Just a just a thought. Uh, my my only other note here is that I gotta say I'm I my suspension of disbelief is tested when I think about how much information and content Wade is supposedly in taking. What do you mean? Like when he talks about how he's watched every season of certain shows and he's watched all these different movies and read all these comic books and things like that. It's like how old is he supposed to be? He's in high school. Like, this is all stuff he did in the last five years. And he's really good at school. He's really good at Latin. He knows how to program computers. I'm just finding it hard to find the time for this kid to do all these things. I mean, I was obsessive about some things, and I could I could accumulate a lot. The Latin is, is kind of hard for me. I agree with that. But the, the things he's watched, I could see it. My my point really is that it's sort of like it's just an endless bag. Like Ernest Klein can just say, "Of course he's watched all these things because I've watched these things because I'm you know thirty five or whatever, however he old he was when he wrote this book." Mm-hmm. But like the kid has had five years to get what Ernest did in twenty five or whatever, however many years he was actually doing like nerd shit. But also cramming with the with the fervor and attention to detail of a nerd. I don't think so, man. I think I mean like. Those old NES games, those shitty games are hard to play. And, like, in order to really learn them and get the shit you need to get out of them, you have to be really good and practice a lot. I just don't see the time. And when you had everything, you know, he has no parental governor, and he's got everything at his fingertips, access-wise. Maybe. it's. I guess it's. It's. it just feels like... I was trying to think, maybe he's watching it on, like, time and a half speed, but even yeah. then, that would be sort of sacrilegious. Like, if you're watching... Three's Company, like every season of Three's Company at time and half speed, you're going to miss the timing of jokes. Sure. You're going to miss the nuance. And is and, and why would a Gunter do that if that was something that, you know, Halliday loved? So I, I don't know. I just, I have my eye out for this time period issue. Okay. Uh, that's all my notes. Do uh, you got anything else? I don't have anything else. Um, well, I'm excited to read some more. I think that we're going to read uh, chapter seven uh, through... Chapter 14, stop at chapter 15. Do not read chapter 15. Got it. 7 to 14, <laughs> I wrote 15 down with a big old X through it. That's a perfect way to do it. Yep. So hopefully we touched on something interesting in this in this episode. 
hopefully we didn't pick a book people hate. I've, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I think that there's a lot of uh, wonder and whimsy in this. All right. You got anything else to say? Uh, I guess that brings us to a new word alert. Oh, no. New word alert. I don't have one. What do you have? I have... Anorak. Anorak? Anorak. Isn't that the name of the, the, the wizard? It is the name of the wizard, but it's more than that. Okay. And the thing that made me put this together, because I've heard it before, uh, is that the name was bestowed upon him by an English exchange student. I'm sure that won't come up anymore. I'm sure she was a one and done and we'll never hear about that character again. Good. But she's completely forgettable. James Halliday was given the name Anorak, which because she's British exchange student. That's why I looked it up because because an Anorak's like a heavy weatherproof jacket with an attached hood or a parka or wind cheater. I don't know what that is. Basically a thick hoodie. But in England, it's a geek or a nerd, possibly originally either a train spotter or a fan of offshore pirate radio. Wow. So it's her nickname for him calling him a nerd and he was taken with it or her and adopted that as his avatar name yeah that's my new word is Ernest Klein married to a British woman I don't know we'll find out let's find out let's let's stock him (laughs) Ernest Hemingway came up first who's that life and career Give me the deeds, personal life. In 2016, he married poet nonfiction writer Christine O'Keefe Aptkowitz, whom he met at the 1998 National Poetry Slam. And his all-time favorite video game is Black Tiger. Hmm. That's under personal doesn't life. Say, doesn't, doesn't say anything about where she's from? I suppose I could follow her. American nonfiction writer and poet. Boo. All right, whatever. All right, so I believe that was Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thanks for listening. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit. Welcome to episode, everyone Death Readers, I'm Doug, I'm Rob, this is episode 92 of Death Readers, a podcast where we read through books for the first time. In this episode of Death Readers, we're reading through Ready Player One, chapters <laughs> 0 through 6. <laughs> this could do the whole show that way. <laughs> and then we'll do it for real. I, don't, I, I never write it down, I should write down like some part of you should, it. You should, you should get your wife to be the cue card lady. You think there's a skill in dropping those cards so they don't make noise? Oh, I think they just do this. I've seen them, like, l- just drop it off to the side. Maybe I they're feeding just... it to someone. Maybe they have a grip. Or, or or they're just, like, maybe they have, like, a towel. Yeah. But I mean, after, towel. After, after, after a couple, they're going to be landing on themselves, and that's going to make a noise. But are they just dropping, or are they, are they setting? Are they setting down? I mean, I feel like you only have, what, as much as three sentences on one of those at a time, depending on how good the actor's eyesight is 
And so they, they have to go pretty quick. So it looks like it's pretty much like drop it, go to get ready for the next one. And how do they, how does the cue card guy know when they're at the end of the card? Do they memorize the cards or do they have a cue card person saying drop the next one? You never see behind the fifth wall. Um, like some stagehand, you know, in the wings waving at the cue card guy. Okay, go to the next one so that the actor. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, you've definitely blown this wide open. <laughs> cue card gate. So let's start with the introduction chapter, whatever you call it. Chapter uh, zero. Chapter zero. Yeah. I guess I should have said that, but hey, whatever. This is new, right? We'll do it differently. Sorry. What's the what's the point of even having words? <laughs> Tradition? <laughs> Listen, I'm okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know this happened the last time we started reading Tarzan because you were like, "Oh, I don't have chapter numbers." And I was like, "Well, now we don't have chapter titles, we only have numbers." Um, at this point, I need to take a break. Okay. Uh, but I'll be back with props and with ready to go. Just give me a second. You see, it's a reference. I'm um, pretty clever. <laughs> it's really funny. I'm so funny. Ha <laughs> ha. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> 